0: Our text is rather short. In fact, many of you, I would suppose, have even committed this uh, passage to memory. Philippians 1, verse 21. And uh, we will consider the first half of this um, verse. Next week, we will look at the second half of this verse. The Apostle Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as Your Word is proclaimed, as Christ is proclaimed, that everyone here this morning would have as their goal to live is Christ. And that they would so follow Him that their heart's desire would be also that to die is gain. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. I very distinctly remember reading this passage of Scripture About a month before Rachel, my oldest daughter, the one with the broken right hand, the one that is home from college and is now not able to work and uh, earn money. Um, Sorry, still. um, Anyway, uh, I remember uh, reading this passage of Scripture about a month before she was born. That was almost 20 years ago. But I remember that I read this passage because this passage, this verse, caused me a great deal of personal struggle. Part of my regular Bible reading uh, involves taking a smaller portion of Scripture other than my my larger diet of, of reading Scripture, but taking a smaller portion and uh, meditating upon that, that portion of Scripture. Uh, oftentimes, I also will write down my thoughts, keep a little journal of what... Um, what I'm learning from that passage of Scripture. And then after I finish my journaling, and I, I go and pray about that passage. The things that I have learned about that passage about myself, the things I've learned about God, the things I've learned where I am disobeying that passage, I go and I pray about those things. And uh, while I was out praying this 20 years ago, um, my mind suddenly... Um, Turned to um, to my daughter Rachel's upcoming birth. Uh, I think Mandy was was in the ninth month or, or thereabouts. We were, it was really close, and uh, I was praying and asking God to help me live for Christ and to consider death as gain. And this question suddenly arose in my mind could I count death again if it meant that I would die before my daughter was born? And I honestly could say uh, that I was unwilling to die. I could not consider death again if I was going to die before I got to see my daughter with my own eyes. And every day for the next few weeks, I tried to ignore the question. I tried to forget the question. I tried to answer the question dishonestly because I said, well, you know, if I can just answer dishonestly for a few more days, then my daughter will be will be born and then it's a non-issue. But God kept bringing this question up to me. Could I count death again if it meant dying before my before my daughter was born. Um, like I said, this was a very difficult time for me. I was not scared of death. In fact, I think I, I know that even during that time I could look forward to death because it has been my goal to see my Savior Jesus Christ, to see Him face to face, the reality of knowing that I am going to see my Savior it causes me to treat death as a friend that will usher me into the presence of my Savior. And so I know during that time that that I was looking forward to death. Also, being finished with this battle of sin that we daily engage in, to be finished with that forever, to live in God's presence, but in my heart i was saying but not yet i can't bear the thought of dying before my daughter is born what i came to realize that god was not teaching me whether i was willing to die or not rather he was teaching me about how i was willing to live I was unable during that time to count death as gain for me because I was not willing to live wholeheartedly for Christ. For me at that particular time, Christ was not my life. For me at that particular time, my family was my life. And God in His great love for me was unwilling to allow me to treasure anything in this life more than Him. I pray this morning that each one of you, in considering this passage of Scripture, will treasure nothing in this life more than Jesus Christ. Now, since it's been a couple of weeks, let me give, allow me a couple of minutes to remind you of the background. We're preaching through the book of Philippians, as is our habit. We we take a book at a time, and so we come to this passage. And what's happening here is that Paul is languishing under house arrest in Rome. He's been in under house arrest for nearly two years now, and he spent he has spent every moment um, chained to a Roman guard. But while he's under arrest, he's been able to receive regular visitors. He's been able to proclaim Christ. In fact, a, a, a few weeks ago, we saw how God was using him, even in his imprisonment, to bring the gospel to the very household of Caesar. Um, but here, he, he's still in jail able to proclaim Christ, and even to a limited degree, he's pastoring the church there in Rome. And the church in Philippi has not seen Paul in nearly five years, but they love him and they're eager to support him. So they sent this young man to visit Paul to see how he was doing, to see what needs he might have that they might be able to meet. Look uh, with me at chapter 2, verse 25. This is the uh, you know, Paul talking about that young man. He says, "...I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister in my need." So they sent Epaphroditus to visit Paul, and now Paul's going to send Epaphroditus back to them. And he is... Um, he he wrote this letter that we now have, the letter to the Philippians, um, as the letter that he sent uh, back. In our passage today, Paul is reminding the Philippians to keep their confidence squarely focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, they know that Paul's struggling, or rather, they are struggling with the fact that God allowed Paul to be put into prison. Uh, and to waste away in jail. And so Paul's telling them that God has been using him and that um, God will continue to use Paul to spread the Gospel. But should he be executed? Well, that will be absolutely the best outcome of all. And that's why he tells them, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Actually, that's not the way the original puts it. Um, Paul here in uh, this passage, in, in verse twenty-one, there's no verbs. Um, the English translation adds the transitive verbs to make the to make it grammatically correct for us as we read it. Um, but Paul leaves out the verbs. And he does so to make the statement sound more emphatic. Literally, uh, directly from the Greek, it reads, For to me to live Christ and to die gain. Can you see the difference between Paul's life goals and my life goals before my daughter was born? Paul could look forward to death and look forward to it as gain, because it was just an extension of his life. For Paul, to live Christ, therefore, to die, gain. These two phrases cannot be separated. If you can truly say that death is gain for you, it is only because you are presently living your life for Christ. Or, if death is not gain for you, then it means that there is something in this life that you treasure more than the Lord Jesus Christ. The first point that I want to make this week is that to live is Christ. Christ is the center of our faith. Paul does not say, for to me, to live is the church. Or for me to live is faithfulness to God. Or for me to live is religion. He doesn't say that. He says the center, the totality of His faith is centered on Jesus Christ unfortunately me many even even I would say most get confused about what it means to be a Christian. Christianity, in its essence, is not a religion; it is not a faith, it is not a moral philosophy. Christianity is a person. Christianity is the Lord Jesus Christ. John Stott in his uh, great little booklet that our our great little book. That I read as a brand new Christian is only about 60 or 70 pages. Um, small book, big big print. Uh, I would highly recommend it if you want to investigate further what it means to be a Christian. The the book was Basic Christianity, and in, in that book, John said uh, John Stott said the person and work of Christ are the foundation rock upon which the Christian religion is built. Take Christ from Christianity and you disembowel it. There is practically nothing left. Jim Boyce, the great preacher up at, uh, in Philadelphia at 10th Presbyterian uh, before he died, said Christ, or take Christ, I'm sorry. He said Christ is the center of Christianity. All else is circumference, but Christ is the center. You know, I ask people the question all the time, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain whether you'd go to heaven? And people, if they answer yes, I ask the follow-up question, let's say you did die tonight, you stood before God, and God said, why should I let you into heaven? You know, it is a rare thing to hear people even mention the name of Jesus in their answer. I think God's going to let me into heaven because I'm sincere. I think God's going to let me into heaven because I'm a good person. God's going to let me into heaven because I haven't hurt anybody and I want to do good and I want to love people. You know, on and on and on. I'm a member of the church. uh, But rarely do I hear them mention, He who is the center of our faith. He who is the essence of our faith. And I say, do you want to tell me anything about Jesus? to people who are born and raised in the church, for me to have to remind them to even mention Jesus is bewildering to me. More often than not, I fail to hear anything about Jesus, yet He is the center of the Christian faith. So many people mistakenly believe That being a Christian means doing the things that Christians do. Joining a church, participating in the regular ceremonies of Christianity, and knowing the major doctrines of Christianity. But Christianity is not about those things at its heart. Those things are circumference issues. The heart of Christianity is Christ. Christianity means having a living, active trust in Him. Christianity means fellowshipping with Christ. It means knowing Him. It is much more than simply having a belief in His existence. Let me make a paragraphical note here. Um, If you feel like your relationship with Christ... Parenthetical, sorry, I don't know where I got... I was looking at a paragraph. parenthetical note. If you feel like your relationship with Christ is non-living, that it's not much more than a simple belief system rather than a living relationship with Christ, then I need to ask you, how much time do you spend with Him? Let me urge you, take His Word Listen to Him. Read His Word. Meditate on His Word. Pray about the things you read in His Word. In other words, talk with Him about the things you read in His Word. It's like a conversation. You read what He has to say, and then you talk to Him about the things He has to say, and ask Him to help you live according to the things that you read. Uh, to learn to shape your beliefs around what you learn about Him in His Word. And it really does become a dialogue. Sometimes I don't simply meditate on His Word and then go pray. Sometimes I read His Word and then I pray. And then I read some more. And it ends up being a dialogue. And I learn things that I, I had never known before. And I believe it is because I am fellowshipping with God in a personal way. So if you don't have this personal relationship, let me urge you, spend time with Him. Read His Word. You might even this afternoon take this one short verse, verse 21. Spend time meditating on it. Thinking about it. Praying about it. Asking God to help you to make your life about Christ. You cannot have a living relationship with Christ while never spending time with Him. Now, while I'm saying that, I also want to point out that having a living relationship with Christ means following Him. We all know about the monks who basically have checked out of life to go spend personal time with the Lord Jesus. Jesus. You know, that's all they do. Meditate on God's Word. Meditate on what it means to, uh, to love Him. But when they check out of life, they don't have a full understanding of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You know the chief way that, God, that Jesus, when He was here on earth, called people to, to have trust in Him, have faith in Him? You know the wording He used? The wording He used was, follow Me. That's the way He put what it means to, to trust in Him. So Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth, Jesus walks by and He says to Matthew, follow Me. And Matthew leaves his tax collector's booth and follows Jesus. Andrew and Peter were mending their nets by the Sea of Galilee. They'd been doing some fishing earlier in the day. Jesus comes by and he says to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men. James and John were helping their father and Jesus came by and he says leave everything and come follow me. To be a Christian, to have a living relationship with Jesus Christ means living your leaving your sin and following Jesus. Following Christ means more than that. We tend to divide our lives into to categories of existence. We have our work life. We have our family life. We have our personal life. And we have our religious life or our Christian life. But following Christ means trusting Him as the center of our existence. Paul said, for me to live Christ Christ was the totality of Paul's life for Paul Christ gave meaning to his life for Paul Christ was the goal of his life for Paul Christ was the delight of his life that's why Paul said for me to live Christ Christ was the lord of his life Paul knew that Christ is the creator of all life Christ is your Creator. Christ sustains life. Christ sovereignly rules all of life. And we live in Christ's world. The laws of nature that govern our existence are really Christ's laws. The moral standards that determine right or wrong are Christ's moral standards. We live and move and have our existence in Christ. Even those who refuse to acknowledge His Lordship are still His subjects nonetheless. Look at Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him, talking about Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted Christ and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything is about Christ. Paul embraced this fact. Paul reveled in this fact. All true followers of Jesus Christ embrace this fact and revel in it. Christ is our first and central aim. He is the center of our existence. He is our chief delight and joy. Everything else, however important, however necessary, must take second place. So let me ask you, what is the first and central aim in your life? I'm not asking you what you will typically say while you're sitting here on Sunday morning here in church, knowing what I am expecting you to answer. But in your heart of hearts, being nakedly honest before God. What is your first and central aim in life? What are you really after? What is your great ambition? What is your great delight? What one thing, if you had it, would bring you satisfaction other than Christ? Is Christ the one that you worship? Is He the one that you value? Is Christ your great delight? Delight? Is He your first and central aim? If this is true of you, then for you to live Christ. I'm going to put some feet on these questions that I'm asking. Or the preacher that I... When I was little, I remember he would say, I'm going to meddling and would warn us. So I'm warning you. What do you spend your money on? How do you spend your money? It will show what you love. How do you spend your time? How you spend your time will show what you love. Where are, you affect- where, where are your affections? What do you think about when you're not thinking about anything else? When you need help, where do you turn? Where do you turn for protection? In your downtime, your personal time, your me time, we like to say, what do you do? Where does Christ fit into all that? Is He first? Is it true of you? And if it is, to live for you is Christ. I know I'm asking these searching questions to push all of us to live our lives with Christ at the center. But in so doing, I don't want you to leave this morning and think that this is a negative thing because I'm asking some questions that might come with a negative answer. Where repentance needs to happen, I want it to happen. Where someone needs to flee to Christ, I want you to flee to Christ. But this message is more about joy than about sorrow. Because to live for Christ is gain. Notice I'm not saying to die is gain. We'll get to that next week. But to live for Christ is gain. See, our Lord Jesus made Himself. Our Lord Jesus um, came. I'm sorry. Our Lord Jesus made us for Himself. We belong to Him. Our hearts, to paraphrase Augustine, our hearts are going to be restless until they find their rest in Him. And when we when we rest in Him, that is when we experience that true, that real, that life-transforming satisfaction in Him. In Him we find true delight. And our Lord Jesus made this world. And we experience life as it was meant to be experienced when we place Him first and foremost in our life. Even with all the brokenness that we have here in this world, even with all the heartache, even with the sin that is directed against us, even the sin that flows continually from our hearts, even with all that negative stuff going on, when Christ is at the center of your life, everything else begins to line up. Just look at the Apostle Paul. He was in prison in Rome for two years. Prior to that, he was shipwrecked. Prior to that, he was in prison in Caesarea Philippi for... Um, for two years, almost five years in prison. Yet Christ was at the center of his life. And regardless of everything that was going on around him, his life had that clarity. His life had that joy. His life had that purpose. His life had a focus that most people today, with all our affluence, we envy the focus, the purpose, and the joy that Paul had while he was in jail. And your life in Christ can have this same focus. Paul's experience is the normal Christian life. If you can say, for me to live is Christ, then you know what I mean when I talk about this single unifying purpose that we can have in Jesus Christ, that we do have in Jesus Christ, and this one that you are committing your life to is the same one who came came here to Earth and took on human flesh to die for sinners. What a blessedness it is to wake up in the morning and to know Christ loves me and gave Himself for me. When I'm going through a difficult situation, to know Christ loves me and gave Himself for me. When life seems overwhelming, you can know Christ loves me and gave Himself for me. And especially reassuring, because we all struggle with sin. But even while we struggle with sin, Christ loves me, and gave Himself for me. The Apostle Paul had not reached some stage beyond us. Read Romans chapter seven. The very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to want. The very thing I don't want to do, that's the very thing I end up doing. What a wretched man that I am. That was true of Paul, yet he could say, For me to live Christ. He knew Christ loves me and gave himself for me. I want to conclude this morning by. Telling you just a brief word about Samuel Rutherford. Samuel Rutherford was one of the great Puritans who actually helped write uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And he, uh, in one of his letters uh, to one of the people in his congregation, he said that if Jesus was not in heaven, he wouldn't want to go there. He said, You could give me, God could give me all the benefits. Of my salvation, He can give me forgiveness of sins. He can give me eternal life. He can take away my struggle with sin. But if Jesus was not there, He says, I wouldn't want to be there. He says, I wouldn't want to be there because my first and central joy and delight in this life is Christ. That's who I want above everything else. You see that? It's not the benefits of our salvation. It's Christ, the substance, the center of our salvation who is our goal. Is He your goal? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, You are our salvation. You are our light. You are our life. And where someone thinks differently, I pray that You would invade their heart by Your Spirit. Awaken them from their spiritual death. Regenerate them. Bring them spiritual life. Give them eyes to see how beautiful and loving our Lord Jesus is. And God, I know every person here that trusts in You struggles with sin. I know that we are always tempted to put other things in front of Jesus, to take our eyes off of Him and to focus on things in this life that are temporary and ultimately will pass away. They have rule and sway over our hearts. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. All the other good things, all the other blessings that You give us in life, we'll be able to enjoy them as long as we keep Christ front and center. And so we pray in His name. Amen.